official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And another week of sports talk is upon us wherever you're listening. Thanks for making us part of your day as we're gearing up for some interesting weather over the next few days. My kid's supposed to come home from North Dakota on Thursday. Not sure he's going to be able to do that, so... I'm a little melancholy today. Hopefully, Mother Nature's just lying to us, and it's not going to happen. Uh, our show is brought to you today by Andrew Sherrod Limited, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. We've got a great show lined up. We're going to talk to the NFL Radio Network host Zig Fercasi next, but uh, we are going to hear from Mike Reagan, who's the uh, longtime coach and GM of the Flin Flon Bombers as they are in a great uh, tight series with the Humboldt Broncos. They're up three games to one. All the games have been one goal hockey games. The series shifts back to Humboldt for game five tomorrow as Reagan's team's trying to finish off the Bronx and then head off to the SJHL championship against the Estevan Bruins. We're also going to hear from Ryder quarterback Cody Fajardo right after five o'clock. You don't want to miss that. And just before five o'clock, Connor Bedard, best junior hockey player in the world of your Regina Pats, helping them win two games on the weekend. They're two points out of a playoff spot with three to go. Now the three are against the Winnipeg Ice and Moose Jaw Warriors, so they won't be easy, but the Pats do have a puncher's chance to make the playoffs. But as I stated, we are going to head out right now on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza and talk to our good friend Zig Fercasi from NFL Radio, but a bunch of different uh, platforms on Sirius Radio. How are you today, Zig? Mike, I'm doing well. How you doing, man? Doing great, buddy. I'll tell you what, let's start with hockey for a second. Uh, I think you could make a case for every team in the Eastern Conference to win the Stanley Cup, even your Boston Bruins. I think you could make a legitimate argument. Just your thoughts on what's going on in the East, because we've known basically the playoff uh, teams for a good couple of months already. Yeah, and uh, it's still plausible, too, Mike, that all of those teams could wind up with 100 points. So think about that, about how balanced that it would be in the East. And the real you know, sad thing about that is after the first round, four of them are going away. So four legitimate teams that could conceivably win the Cup uh, you know, definitely uh, would be eliminated. So, gosh, I mean, at this particular point, I mean, it's close, but... You know, Florida, in terms of their talent, is probably, and it's why they're number one, but, you know, they have the goaltending issue, I think, with Bobrovsky. Toronto's off the charts right now. Matthews playing like an MVP. But, again, I think the question, and maybe, you know, sans Tampa or even the Rangers, Mike, is the goaltending questions for the remaining teams that are in there. And even then, you know, Shesterkin with the Rangers is, you know, he hasn't been a playoff proven. Vasilevsky basically is the only one. Anderson with Carolina has some experience. So, again, you know, you could make a conceivable case for all those teams to, to win, but still, four of them going to be eliminated. And I still think, you know, the goaltending, even with my Bruins, with Swayman or Allmark, do they alternate them? Does Allmark mm-hmm. turn out to be the guy? A lot of questions to be determined before – uh, we get the playoffs going. So, uh, speaking of goaltending, where does Tuka Rask uh, line up for you in in uh, 
in Bruins' legacy, as it were? Uh, in terms of goalies, got to be top, probably top five. Um, you know, he put up the stats. I mean, he, he you know is a franchise leader in a lot of different categories, and he does have a Stanley Cup as a backup to Thomas, and he's been there two other times, but also, you know, and I think unjustly so, Mike, a polarizing figure for supposedly not being able to make the big saves when needed. And then the last couple of years, uh, he had the he, last year he played through that injury, which I think hindered him and the team the year before, you know, uh, left the team to be with his family because of a situation there. So I think he's, uh, you know, taking some heat for that. But in terms of all-time Bruins goalies, my gosh, you got to put Tiny Thompson, mm-hmm. probably uh, Cheevers, Frankie Brimsek up there. Rask would probably be in the top five somewhere. Zig, okay, let's talk a little bit about football. Just a terrible thing on the weekend with uh, Dwayne Haskins in Florida. Uh, looked like he was, you know, he, he had a great career with Ohio. He went to a dysfunctional organization, in fairness to him, with the Washington football team. And then he goes to Pittsburgh, and by all accounts, including the Canadian Chase Claypool, loved him. Like, he was a guy that was getting that career going, and who knows if he would have got a good shot at uh, making some waves there with Trubisky and him, and who knows now that Roethlisberger's done. Just a terrible story. Gets hit by a dump truck in Florida. What a terrible ending to uh, a great young life. Yeah, and again, you know, our condolences obviously going out to his widow, his family, uh, the teams that he played for, Ohio State. I understand uh, Ryan Day spoke to the media, the Buckeyes coach, and was very uh, emotional about, you know, uh, what, what Dwayne did in that one year as a starter. And then obviously the Steelers and the Commanders. And, you know, Again, and there's a time and place for why maybe things didn't work out in Washington, but that wasn't to be over the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Josh Dobbs on our show yesterday, uh, who's uh, the Cleveland Browns backup now. He had spent some time with the Steelers, said that he got close with Dwayne, that uh, he was his counselor when Josh was in college and Dwayne was in high school, and Dwayne had committed to Maryland, and they got really close uh, through Elite 11. And, you know, he had an infectious smile. Josh told us about Dwayne, uh, that he rooted for everybody to do well, that he cared. Mm-hmm. And then you saw some of the tweets from the, you know, people uh, with the photos of him holding babies and everything like that. And you're right. I mean, gosh, I, there probably would have been a competition this year uh, because, you know, even though Trubisky was signed, doesn't necessarily mean he's the starter. I think. Dwayne would have pushed uh, at least uh, for the backup spot with uh, in contention with Mason Rudolph. So, uh, again, it's an untimely tragedy. Just weeks before his 25th birthday, uh, he will definitely be missed, and we're all uh, praying for the Haskins family and his widow and the teams that he played for. Zig Fercasi joining us here on the Western Pizza Hotline for a few more minutes. What, what is up with Baker Mayfield? Where Where is he going to go? Uh, he's kind of He's just one of those guys floating out there. Yeah, and, and, you know, there was a top pick who, you know, had a couple years of success that 2020 season. He got to the playoffs, and then last year, I think when expectations were higher, you know, partly it was him. Uh, you know, there there was the ODJ distraction, but then once that left, he should have been better. But then obviously the shoulder injury, playing in that harness, I don't think he did himself 
or the team any favors Mike being out there. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of nervous feet, you know, you know, dancing around in the pocket, making some ill advised throws, even though he had a good set of receivers with Landry and you know, uh, I think Austin, the other wide out, and then you've got uh, Joku, the tight end. So it's not like he didn't have a shortage of targets. So I, I think now, obviously, with Watson on board, and then you bring in uh, another guy who's got starting experience, Jacoby Brissett, to be the backup. You know, it, I think Baker's going to have to be moved before the season starts. Uh, even though Watson could face suspension, um, I'm not sure the Browns keep him around now. You're thinking, well, who needs a quarterback? Uh, maybe Carolina, mm-hmm. maybe Atlanta, maybe Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Other than that, Mike, you know, there's not a whole lot of market out there, so it wouldn't shock me to see if one of those teams got involved instead of maybe drafting a quarterback. At least with Baker, you've got some starting experience, and you've got, you know, a guy who's brought a team to playoffs. So if that's what you're looking for, uh, then he should be on the short list for those teams I just mentioned. So a lot of receivers made a lot of money in this offseason, including Diggs was the last one I saw. I think Brandon Cooks got overpaid in Texas. But how about Debo Samuel? There's a guy that's not just a receiver. He's a running back. Do you think that affects him when it comes uh, negatively, when it comes to getting new money with the 49ers or somebody? You know, that's a good question because I know there is, you know, the scenario, I think it was, Jimmy Graham a few years ago where he's a tight end but I think because he had uh, you know lined up a lot as a receiver you know he was trying to get you know if you will the franchise tag because the receivers got paid more so um, I, I think he, they'll officially list him probably as a receiver I understand what he's you know scrubbed his uh, uh, reference 49ers references yeah. from his social media and all that that to me Mike is kind of the co- the code of, I want more money, I'm going to get it. He's too valuable for their system. He was the reason they got to within one quarter of getting to another Super Bowl. He's like the Swiss Army knife out there. 49ers will find a way to keep him because, to me, he's their – Next, their most indispensable offensive piece. This Brady story is fascinating. Like it's like he's going to be a part owner for the for the Dolphins. Might lure Sean Payton there. Maybe quarterbacks yeah. a year, and then all of a sudden the Flores things comes down with the lawsuit. And uh, okay, now I'm going back to Tampa. That is a very fascinating story. And where there's smoke, there's fire. Zig Fracassi. Yeah, I think what was it? Ben Volan had that yeah. laid out in the Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. Ben's one of the best reporters that there is look i mean i i suppose like you said and let's not forget tom brady the owner there steven ross mm-hmm. michigan men right so there's already that alignment but you know hey let's look at it this way too um the fact is bruce arians retired he insisted that he had the succession plan in place todd bowles thus tom brady decided to return to tampa uh, that, that's gonna, it's an interesting dynamic for both franchises because I think Tampa's got a chance to run it back because they're bringing back a lot of their guys. And in Miami, this with all the money they've spent and the you know the trade they made to get Tyree Kill, this has to be the time for them with Tua to basically you know do it or get off the pot, so to speak. Innovative mind there with Mike McDaniel. We just referenced the 49ers and Debo. That was a lot of Mike McDaniel's brain trust and, and idea there. Maybe implement similar ideas to Miami, a team that uh, 
spent some money. Now it's time for them to win. So you've been around football a long time, Zig. Last question. Is the AFC West the best division you've seen from top to bottom, at least before we go into a season? Certainly looks like it in recent memory. Uh, man, I mean, you got Russell Wilson going out to Denver. You already have, I believe, to be at the worst a playoff caliber, if not a championship-level type defense. Mm-hmm. The Chargers already have all the talent, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's mind games or not being able to be focused at end of games, why they continue to be kind of middling despite the talent they have. And then the Raiders, they bring in uh, you know Derek Carr's college target from Fresno and one of his close friends, Devontae Adams. Chandler Jones was a big get in free agency. They were already a playoff team. And then, of course, oh, just for laughs, you got a team that's been in four straight AFC championship games, a recent uh, super two recent Super Bowl appearances and a championship in Kansas City. So yeah, it, it stacked from top to bottom. Um, somebody would say, Zig, who do you favor at this particular point? All those other teams I mentioned look good, but I think push comes to shove. You got Mahomes, you got Andy Reid. Uh, Kansas City for me is the team still to beat there. Zig, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it and enjoy your work. Uh, you are uh, definitely a guy that knows a lot about a bunch of different sports, and that's why we have you on from time to time. Thanks, my friend. Mike, anytime, Sirius XM NFL Radio, Channel 88, at Zig Fricasi on Twitter. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. There you go. There's the plug from the pro, Zig Fricasi. He <laughs> does a great job on a bunch of different platforms, knows his NFL, knows his hockey. We never even got to golf with Tiger Woods. But, yeah, when we come back, we're going to hear from the head coach and GM of the Flin Flon Bombers for the past 15 years. That's Mike Reagan. He'll join us on the Western Pizza Hotline. This is the Sports Cage on this Monday for Andrew Sherritt Limited on 620 CKR. It's time now to talk to the uh, head coach and GM of the Flynn Flon Bombers, Mike Reagan. Mike, your team up three games to one. Uh, a couple of tight ones on home ice. Tell us about those games. Yeah, I mean, uh, the entire series has been tight, actually. You know, they're all one-goal hockey games. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to be in the situation that we are. Um, you know, we had a great atmosphere in, in both our games at home there, and our fans have been just uh, very inspiring and given us a lot of uh, juice and, and extra ump when we need it and um, you know we we got uh, tough tough road ahead of us the fourth game is always the toughest one yeah that's what they always say tell me about your goaltender man the first game there were like 70 shots on net between the two teams and your guy got the shutout Kel Shell but tell us about the goaltending in this series it's been great yeah it's been amazing you know both guys have had tremendous years and you know you would uh, expect this from them after seeing what they were able to do in the regular season. You know, Ramsey breaks an SJHL re- record for shutouts in a season, and and our guy Shell breaks a Bomber record for most shutouts in a season by a Bomber goaltender. So we're not surprised that uh, we've seen the goaltending that we have this series. You know, it's tough to score on both guys here, and uh, you know they're making it very interesting. Way back in the day, I did do Estevan Bruins play-by-play, so I've been to the Whitney Forum a couple of times. Uh, you guys do have the best home ice advantage in the league. I mean, I know you're biased, but it really is an edge for you guys there. Yeah, it is. You know, we're very fortunate that we have uh, the facility that we do. You know, it's an old rink, but uh, they've done a tremendous job at making it uh, a special home. And, uh, you know, the fans in Flint for 
many years have been uh, top notch, and uh, you know they make it quite the experience for everybody that's involved in the game, especially our players. And like I said earlier, they give us that uh, extra motivation when we need it. And you know it is a tough building to to play in. I think it's the mystique of you know even the drive up to Flint Flon, you don't have cell service for. Uh, two and a half, three hours. And, uh, you know, that can be intimidating for guys that haven't done that before. But, um, you know, when it's home ice advantage, you, you you love it and you you appreciate it and you make sure you take advantage of it. You've been doing this for a long time in Flin Flon, uh, 15 years, and you were a player before that, and you hold a lot of offensive records. So the Flin Flon Bombers are really part of Mike Reagan's life. Yeah, they are. You know, I, I as a kid growing up, we used to bill at Bombers, so... Um, you know, it's been a part of my life uh, pretty much the whole time here. And, you know, 19 years as a player and a coach, uh, pretty much half my lifetime has been being a bomber. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be the head coach of such a historic uh, franchise and, uh, you know, wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, this team is on the cusp of at least a league final, but right there for a championship too. But they say you got an excellent eye for recruitment. Since you took over, you've had 60-plus players go on to the NCAA or Canadian College slash University Hockey and six attended NHL camps. What do you like better, Mike, the coaching part or the GM part, the eye for the talent part? Oh, that's a tough one. You'd get me in trouble either way. But, uh, you know, I think when I took over the program uh, coming from the NCAA, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were able to provide our players with those opportunities and, you know, design our program around uh, um, moving guys on to the next level. And, um, you know, we've been very fortunate that we've got some guys to uh, buy into the, the program and uh, have done very well at the next level, which paves the way for, you know, our current players and future players. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that goes hand in hand, recruiting the right players and and having um, success at moving them on, and and they uh, allow us to continue that uh, development of uh, our cur- current players and their program. And uh, you know, word travels fast, and you know, sometimes your players are your best recruiters as well. So we've been fortunate in very uh, many different aspects, and you know, we hope to continue the success. Mike, what does it mean to be a Flin Flon Bomber with you in charge? Like, do you have like a team motto or a philosophy that you like to spread into the locker room to the guys? Yeah, well, you know, our slogan is kind of built on passion. you got to be a passionate person and play with a lot of passion and energy. And, um, you know, you also have to appreciate the history and tradition of our organization. We've been around as long as, you know, the New York Rangers. So um, that's pretty impressive to have a franchise as old as ours. And, you know, we want to make sure that we recruit uh, people and players that respect the tradition of our, our team and organization and really embrace it and really believe in being a Flim Flon Bomber. So, you know, there's lots of uh, things that go into it. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where we don't believe that just anybody can be a Flim Flon Bomber. It takes a special person and a special player. And, um, you know, that's kind of the, the way we go out recruiting is looking for those types of players that can buy in. Mike, a couple more quick questions for you. One that doesn't relate to the game, one that does relate to the game. Uh, you know, you, you look at your hockey team and, and you know, it, it's not exactly, I mean, for you it is, but it's not exactly the most attractive place to come to. It's not like you're going to Florida, you're going to Flin Flon, no cell service. You talked about it. Is it a challenge to get players to come play up there in Flin Flon? Yeah, 100%. You know, especially when I took over, I think that uh, – you know, there wasn't a lot of success, you know, 
with the organization for a number of years after they hosted the, the national championship in in uh, 2001. Um, you know, so at, at first it was you know changing the the culture and um, you know getting players to really buy into what being a bomber was all about and and that and I think you know with our success over over the time that I've been there I think it's gotten a little bit easier but you're always still faced with the challenges of players you know looking at a map and where the location is and mm-hmm. you know really un- unsure of uh, where, where they're going and, and why to, to take a, a chance on an organization so far away from um, you know home and, and that but uh, again it goes back to us just uh, really doing our homework on the types of players that we want to recruit. Uh, we've had a lot of success with kids out of Quebec and uh, um, out east, and and you know we've we've been able to change the impression of our our organization within Saskatchewan. You know, when I first took over, we weren't getting a lot of our our players that were listed with us to to report to Flint One. We're choosing other places and that, and then you know we just uh, were able to get one or two guys that uh, high profile guys or high-end guys to buy in and, and give it a shot and they, they've really done a great job at uh, paving the way for our future guys. Last one for you Mike Reagan. So it's game number five coming up here in Humboldt. You always said it. The fourth one's the, the toughest one to get and you don't want to let the uh, great hockey team like the Humboldt Broncos get too many chances. What's your message to the guys going into the game tomorrow? we got to win one hockey game. You know, just focus on the one game and you know, if you don't look too far down the road, just uh, worry about uh, the present. And, uh, you know, nobody thought that uh, we were going to sweep the Humble Broncos. They're too good of a team and that. So we're we're happy with where we're at. You know, we get another shot at this and just focus in on uh, the one game. Good luck, Mike. It was a pleasure talking to you. Maybe we'll be talking about a, a very north and very south league final with Estevan and Flynn Flynn. Uh, good luck taking care of business tomorrow, man. Yeah, thanks very much. I sure hope we are talking about that. We always talk riders on the show. And after 5 o'clock, the quarterback of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Cody Fajardo, will join us on the Western Pizza Hotline. But we have another superstar in our town, and that would be our friend Connor Bedard, the best junior hockey player in the world, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, a lot of people's opinions. Uh, Connor, thanks for joining us. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. I'll tell you what, I did the Regina Red Sox dinner on the weekend, and uh, your jersey was up for bid. And, uh, hey, we know that you're headed for greatness. You already are in the midst of greatness at junior hockey, but your jersey went for 1800 bucks. How does that? That's, pro- that's, that's more than you probably got in your bank right now, Bedard. It's not what you're going to have at the end of the day, but, you know, some, like, say, five years down the line. But how does it feel to know your jersey went to somebody for 1800 bucks? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, pretty crazy to think. You know, someone's willing to spend the, mo- the money, uh, you know, on my jersey like that. So uh, it's definitely, you know, pretty cool and uh, makes you step back and think for sure. So you're 16. You talk like you're 20. Do you do you practice interviews? Have you got any help with interviews or how to carry yourself at such a young age? Because I think we forget. I know I do from time to time that you're only 16, turning 17 years of age. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done a few in the, in the past couple of years, so I think you kind of you kind of learn. I haven't really had practice, but. You know, I, I enjoy doing them, and uh, you know, I think uh, you know you kind of learn a lot when you when you're doing them. 
you know, as often as I as I have been, I think. Connor McDavid isn't one for liking interviews. Like he's he is obviously the best player on the planet, at least in my opinion, and he most explosive. And you know, he gets a lot of of the spotlight on him, but he doesn't like doing interviews. Uh, number one, do you like doing interviews? And do you think you'll be a little bit more uh, likely to warm up to the camera, so to speak? Because there's lots of endorsement deals out there to be had, Bedard. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy them. I think, you know, I think they're fun. I think, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, however you're feeling, sometimes you kind of open up more, and then, and then other days you kind of just want to, you know, do the cliches and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously with time you kind of learn when when to be, you know, more open and, and when to kind of just stick to stick to the normal. Now, we always knew you'd be good offensively because you've always had the puck on your stick at every level. What's been the biggest eye-opener for you uh, in into the WHL here, your year and a, well, almost two years, but it was a kind of a shortened year last year. What's been the biggest eye-opener for you, Connor Bedard? Sorry, I didn't really get that. What, what What's the biggest eye-opener for you coming to the Western Hockey League for the last, you know, I guess you're into your first full year. There was the bubble season. But what's been the biggest eye-opener for you as a young guy playing here in major junior hockey? Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, you uh, line up and you maybe see like a first-round NHL pick or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, you're getting line matched and stuff by all those guys. So, I think just kind of learning how to, you know, play against all those, all those guys that aren't just, you know, really good junior players, but are, are going to go on to be, you know, really good NHL players. So I think that challenge has been a lot of fun and, and definitely something to adjust to. How do you feel your defense has gone as the season's gone along, Connor? Yeah, um, I think it's something, you know, personally for me is, you know, obviously an offensive player that you, you know, I need to, I need to, you know, focus on, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's improved over the past you know, eight months or whatever it's been here. So uh, it's something I, I really hope to improve, and, uh, you know, I think it's gotten a little better. Talk about uh, your running mate there, Tanner Howe. We kind of touched on it before. Your guy, he's a guy that was down in the lineup. He's come up the lineup, and you get a lot of the fanfare, but 43 knows how to find the back of the net too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's been he's been unreal this year. I think, uh, you know, he kind of came in as, you know, a later pick. He started started on the fourth line, and, um, you know, I mean, I think five, four or five games in, you, you know, you can kind of just see that skill. And, and obviously he got up the lineup and then he just took off. And, and you know, he's been unreal. And, and, you know, I have so much fun playing with him. So you got to tell me about this pregame ritual you have with Nathan, uh, Nathan Salami. I picked up on it when I'm doing the TV broadcast. Like you guys have some handshake or something after you guys spray water in each other's mouths with the, from the water bottle. How, how did that come to be, buddy? Yeah, um... Well, we start off, we go to the middle and we do that passing thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that was kind of, that was kind of my idea. And then, you know, Sal wanted to, wanted to do something and then he just thought of that. And, and obviously the handshakes kind of ended as, you know, it's, it's something we, we both got excited about every warm up. So it's uh, definitely pretty fun. So, uh, the playoffs are in the mix. Thanks to a great weekend. Just talk about those two games against Swift current and Prince Albert, uh, a very playoff like weekend. You kind of got a taste of how, how it might be here because those are two teams you're trying to catch. Yeah, obviously it was, uh, it was a big weekend. You know, I think uh, if we, if we lost one of those games, it would have been, you know, probably over for us. So, uh, going into, into both of them, we were, 
really excited to play and, and obviously I think even in the building you know you could just feel the energy from the fans and and that was uh was you know I think different so uh not different but you know I think just just more energy and, and everyone was so into it uh, fans and players so it was definitely a lot of fun you seem to be playing with a little more of an edge the last few games that I've watched getting a little bit more feisty a little bit more in guys faces does that come with being more comfortable in the league or is that a, are you making a concerted effort to be a little bit more on the physical side uh, yeah I mean I think just kind of you know maybe you know having an all around game and, and obviously I'm not someone who's going to you know be trying to kill guys too much or anything but I think just, uh, you know, having people know that I'm not just going to, you know, take shots all the time and I'll, I'll, I'll be able to stick up for myself as well. So uh, I think that's something that, you know, you kind of learn, like you said earlier, about, about being in the league and, and then you get more used to it as, as time goes. Well, you've been rolling, man. You got four goal. You had four goals over the weekend. Now you got 49 goals. You've scored the most goals and points as a 16-year-old in Pat's history, surpassing the likes of Jeff Fries and, and Doug Wickenheiser, two-storied names here. What does that mean to you? I mean, I know you you want uh, team goals, but you got to have some personal goals to get to the team goals. What does that mean to you to be the most prolific 16-year-old scorer for the most storied junior hockey franchise? Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely pretty cool. Obviously, when I when I did kind of get that, it was, it was probably the worst goal I've ever scored. So, <laughs> I was, you know, it's pretty funny that that was the one. But uh, I mean, obviously, what what he was able to do was was so special, and uh, to kind of have my name with his is, is definitely pretty cool, especially and like he said, such a such a storied organization. Hey, what is a guy like Logan Nyhoff meant to you as a young guy and to your hockey team. I, you know, I, I've said it to him. I've said it on the air. He's not the most talented captain in Pat's history, but I don't know that you could find a better captain in Pat's history, both on and off the ice. Where does he rank amongst the teammates and maybe captains you've had? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's unreal. I think even, you know, just right when I got to the league, he really, really took me under his wing. And, you know, I mean... For, for us, he's definitely our MVP, just, just on and off the ice. Uh, on the ice, he'll do anything, you know, blocking shots and playing the right way. And, you know, he's the best face-off guy in the league. And, you know, in the room, he just – he really controls it. And, uh, you know, if you need anything, he's, he's always the guy to go to. And, you know, just, just such a good person. So, uh, to kind of have have him be our leader and, and for me, have, have him to look up to for, for the past couple of seasons has been, has been unreal. You feel like the record isn't indicative of your hockey team. Like you guys, uh, you guys have had some issues at time, keeping the puck out of your net, but you've also played hard at times and just haven't got those breaks when you needed them. Uh, you know, it's been a frustrating year. I, I, maybe the record's not reflective of the actual quality team you have here. Do you feel, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think there's been there's been so many games that you know you don't want to say bad luck, but just kind of you know you got to lead in the first and there's a bounce or or something goes goes the wrong way and uh, you know you end up losing. So you know I feel there's just been so many games that you know we should have won and you know something didn't go right and, and obviously now we're we're still battling for that eighth spot. But I think uh, you know if maybe maybe we were able to close all of those games out, then then we'd be sitting uh, you know really comfortably, but. No, you can't really control that now. Just, just kind of focus on the last three. Do you feel like you have to win out to make the playoffs? You got two against Winnipeg. We know what happened last time the ice were here. It wasn't a good one. It was 7 nothing. Then you've got your rivals, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Do you feel like you need to win all three to give yourself a puncher's chance? Uh, well, looking at it, like 
like mathematically it would be I think you know if everything goes right we can maybe win one and, and be in like a, a three mm-hmm. four way tie break and then mm-hmm. you know obviously it was going in going into this uh this uh you know this week we're, we're kind of thinking that you know if if we're just kind of counting on winning one, then, then we're not going to make it. So, uh, you know, obviously Winnipeg is a is a good team, and and uh, you know they've had an unreal year. But you know, we we can't be he can't kind of just bow down. No, I think we gotta we gotta give it to him, and obviously, uh, hopefully, we can we can get one or two out of him. Yeah, it's cliche like you're saying earlier in the interview, but you really got to take it one period at a time, especially when you're playing a team like Winnipeg, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just kind of you know lowering the stakes and and all that stuff. I mean, they're, they're going to be able to capitalize. they got three, four lines that, you know, could be first or second lines on, on any team in the league. So it's, it's just crazy the amount of skill they have and, you know, how, uh, how well they're able to finish. So I think we, we got to play pretty simple and, uh, you know, just play our game. And, and then I think uh, we can frustrate them and, and you know, maybe get, a, maybe get our chances and obviously hopefully win. Well, congratulations on uh, doing a great job this year on helping out the community. I know the Red Sox are happy that your jersey went for 1800 because it helps local baseball. And, uh, yeah, uh, best of luck against Winnipeg and Moose Jaw and uh, getting to 50 goals. Thanks, Connor, for your time. Yep, thank you. That's the great Connor Bedard joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. 49 goals this year, and I think it's 92 points on the season. Not bad for a 16-year-old. I don't know what I did when I was 16. That would have been... Oh, God. It's probably picking my nose in a locker room after I got shoved in there. That's probably what happened. I'm not going to lie to you. Ryan Michaud. I was begging my parents to let me take the yeah. car out once I got my driver's license. That's yeah. how exciting yeah. my 16-year-old yeah. life yeah. was. This dude's like, he's just like... I'm th- he's like I'm talk I'm wasting my time talking to some over the hill radio yeah. announcer talking about how I have no money in my bank account and I'll be able to buy and sell that clown in a couple years. And what that's the a- hell does he know? This yeah. ballsy character. Yeah, that's Jeez. right. Get out of here. Anyway, when we come back, we'll have our pick six, and after five o'clock, it's Cody Fajardo joining us. Is uh, he's ready for the season? You don't want to miss that interview. I'm going to ask him: Is he going to keep number seven? Or is he going to move to number 17, his favorite number? If you notice in the games, when he comes out, he always takes a knee at the 17-yard line to say a prayer because that's his favorite number. So we'll see if he's going to switch his number up and make you all go out and buy a new jersey. This is the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited on 620 CKRM. And it's time now for your sports ticker, and that sports ticker is brought to you by our friends over there at Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. We got a busy, busy night in the NHL, and uh, Edmonton's at Minnesota, Vegas at Vancouver, Seattle visits Calgary, Ottawa at Detroit, Buffalo at Toronto. Penguins forward Evgeny Malkin will have a hearing on Monday for a cross-check to Nashville. Predators defenseman uh, Mark Borovietsky, as he cross-checked him in the face. More on that in the pick six. Pair of two and one teams collide in the Bronx with the Jays at the Yankees. And LeBron James says he'll be hands-off when it comes to the LA Lakers off-season decision-making process. (laughs) He's the reason they're all screwed up. He wanted Russell Westbrook, not... Frank Vogel and they fired their coach the guy who helped them help that old broken down team win a championship in the bubble they got rid of him and he found out via Twitter from an NBA reporter so there you go by the way we had a Connor Bedard on and we'll call that our Pat Chat brought to you by Kevin's Marine make the most of summer with a boat or pontoon from Kevin's Marine and Fort Capel Kevin's Marine dot com 
What a weekend it was at the Masters. Scotty Scheffler wins the jacket perfect for green screen pranks, the taming of a tiger, and complete crowd security compliments of a long piece of string. See you next time at the Masters. And let's start another pick six by talking about the Masters. Scotty Scheffler capped off an amazing two months with his grandest feat of all, winning the Masters yesterday to validate his new status as the best player in golf. He closed with a 171 for a three-shot win over Rory McIlroy, who holed out from the bunker on the final hole for a record-tying final round of 64. Yeah, Rory shoots minus eight Sunday to finish minus seven and is the runner-up at the Masters. Now for Scheffler, it's his fourth PGA Tournament win this year. He won the Phoenix Open on February 13th, won the Arnold Palmer Invitational March 6th, won the World Golf Championship match play March 27th, and of course, the Masters. After playing 72 holes over four straight days at one of the most demanding courses in the world, Tiger Woods was asked if he was in much pain Sunday after finishing up his Masters. Uh Uh-huh. Woods answered, Woods' return to pro golf won't be remembered for the consecutive rounds of 6 over 78, the worst in his career here, or his less than Tiger-like putting. It'll be remembered for the fact that he was on the course for his first competition, no warm-ups, his first competition in 509 days was the Masters. I would say it was a victory in and of itself. And Canadian Corey Connors had a great tourney. He finished tied for 6th at minus 3, so what does that mean? Well, Will Zalatoris and Corey Connors each get $521,250 American for finishing in a sixth place tie. Number two on the pick six, Sidney Crosby scored the second of his two goals at 221 of overtime for his 1400th career point, helping the Penguins in a four-game skid with a 3-2 victory over Nashville. Now, here are the fewest career games needed to reach the 1400-point mark. Wayne Gretzky... 580 games. Mario Lemieux, 691 games. Marcel Dion, 1,022 games. Phil Esposito, 1,070 games. Yager, 1,086 games. Iserman, 1,093 games. And Sidney Crosby, 1,100 games. Two goals, one helper in that victory. Paul Coffey, 1,148 games to get to 1,400 career points. And uh, Joe Sackick, 1,149 games. So, (laughs) now you can see why Wayne is called the great one. Sid's teammate, Evgeny Malkin, is an underrated, dirty prick. Yes, Malkin was assessed a four-minute double minor after he cross-checked Mark Borowiecki in the face, drawing blood. Borowiecki, who wasn't on the bench to start the third period because he lost a couple of chicklets after eating Malkin's stick, was given a slashing minor on the play as well. But yeah, Malkin is an under-the-radar, dirty, dirty player. Number three on the pick six, some sad news. Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins dying just shy of his 25th birthday early Saturday morning. Apparently, as the story goes, he ran out of gas and was struck by a dump truck as he tried to run across a Florida highway about 6.30 in the morning. By all accounts, he was putting in the work to turn his NFL career around was a great guy in the locker room and community. Number four in the pick six, Dan Campbell says when he was with the Dolphins, a player showed up drunk daily. Now that he's the head coach of the Detroit Lions, he understands why. 
And get this from Campbell. He also believes you don't have to have an elite quarterback to win a championship. Hmm. Let's see. Campbell's got the Rams' old quarterback in Jared Goff, who won three games. And the Rams got the Lions' old quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and won a Super Bowl. I would say, Dan, the evidence suggests otherwise. And maybe that's the reason why the Detroit Lions have been terrible for a very, very long time. Mind you, they didn't surround Stafford with anybody that good in Detroit. Number five on the pick six. When it's time to measure for a first down in the new USFL, the officials will call for a high-tech solution in place of the decidedly low-tech 10-yard chains that have been used in football forever. The USFL played a preseason game on Friday night that included that debut of its new first down measuring system, which combines a chip in every football and the yellow first down line that fans are accustomed to seeing on TV. Video of its use during the preseason game was accompanied by a claim from the USFL that the upstart league has first down measurements that are more accurate than ever. I've honestly said this for years. I have. Let's get rid of this chain gang. It's clunky and it slows the game down. It's a waste of time. Okay, but what's a first down, asked a bunch of Jacksonville Jag fans. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And number six on the pick six. Riding high after a decisive victory for Ferrari in the Australian Grand Prix on Sunday, Charles Leclerc believes in his team's prospects and that they're growing by the race. The Grand Prix build is a showdown between Leclerc's Ferrari and the Red Bulls of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez finished with the Monaco driver as a one-sided winner. The 24-year-old Leclerc extended his lead in the driver's championship to 34 points, claiming his second win in the season, this time in Melbourne. That damn drive to survive? It got me too, man. Saturday night, I get home from a very successful Regina Red Sox dinner. By the way, they did a great job putting that one on again. And I stayed up to watch part of this Formula One race. It is unbelievable what that drive to survive has done for racing and for casual fans. That's exactly what the CFL needs to look into right across the league. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage for Andrew Sherritt Limited on 620 CKRM. Okay, man, let's turn it burn. The official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage as we kick off the 5 o'clock hour in fine style. It's brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, and we're talking to your quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Cody Fajardo, who's making the rounds, doing the old media tour. So you're having a boy. When's it due, Cody? The due date is uh, September 12th, so uh, two days after the Banjo uh, Bowl. should be an exciting, exciting time. No kidding. Hopefully that's a sweep and then a nice, healthy uh, delivery and everything's good. Um, Cody, what's the best piece of fatherly advice you've ever received? Honestly, it's um, being patient, I think, is the, is the biggest thing for a first-time father or first-time parent. Uh, you're not going to have all the answers, but uh, hopefully the answers will come to you. And so a lot of people say, don't feel overwhelmed that you don't know everything. So you don't need to read every single book under the sun, uh, and it'll just come naturally to you. And, and I've had a great upbringing with incredible parents that love me and my wife 
has the, had the same upbringing. So um, just trying to implement our little style to uh, to our son, and, and we're really excited about the challenges, the opportunities, and uh, all that's going to come with uh, our baby. How many names do you got picked out? <laughs> it's been uh, that's probably been one of the hardest things for us is uh, trying to narrow down names. For me personally, I just want a name that has a meaning. Um, because I want our son to know that the name that we chose, uh, there's some sort of positive um, thing that comes with his name, and, you know, the sky's the limit for him. So uh, we've narrowed it down, but uh, we're kind of keeping those cards close to our chest. Oh, of course. Because we found out that a lot of people have opinions on names, so uh, we're keeping those cards really close to our chest. Well, the worst is if you float it out there and then somebody steals your name and uses it for their kid, because that happened to me, actually. I had I wanted Jake, but one of my buddies at work took Jake, so then I had to go to my second choice, and then I picked that, and uh, my son's mom was like, no, she's a teacher. She's like, no, can't have that name. That kid was a little <laughs> jerk in class, so it was like four or five times before I finally got the name and settled on Ethan. I also picked one that you couldn't really like shorten, so there's a, a, you know, a cheesy nickname or something mm-hmm. like that. There's all these angles, Cody, that you got to really pay attention to my friend oh we are learning that and we're learning that fast and you're exactly right i mean i've heard that uh, story from multiple of our friends and, and family members who have had a name picked out and then someone has a kid before you and then they named their son or their daughter the name that you wanted and you're standing there like oh well good thing we had multiple names and then the second thing is what you talked about was bringing up a name and saying oh you know i've had a bad experience with that name or my wife saying the same thing about that name uh, that's been it's been difficult and it's uh, really challenged us to go through. We've, we've probably gone through every single name that there is out there for for a boy, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I feel like everybody goes through it and and it's been kind of a fun process. As hard as it's been, uh, it's been fun to kind of figure out what is the name that we're going to be calling our son for the rest of their life. That's hilarious. Hey, what is the best piece of advice your dad has given uh, given you in life, Cody? That uh, no matter what, believe in yourself. And uh, I, I've carried that um, from, you know, when I first started playing football at six years old. I've been doubted. It seems like every year I've played football, I've been doubted. People said that I'm not talented enough or I can't do this, I can't do that. And um, having the belief in myself and having the support system that I do has really helped me um, become the man I am today and, and help me when I get out on the field and, you know, the game's on the line. Uh, you have to believe in yourself in order to win that game, and you got to go into the huddle, and you got to have that confidence and look your teammates in the eye and, and ha- have them feel like, okay, Cody's ready to win this football game. And so my dad's always told me, no matter what people say about you, you, you know that the family believes in you, we love you, and you have to believe in yourself. And I've taken that, and I've implemented that in my life uh, with football and any sport, really, uh, to this day. Cody, describe last season in one word for me, if you could. <laughs> um, different. I'll, I'll change. Actually, unique is probably the best way to put it. Uh, coming off a year with no football, and then when you've been in the league like I have, you know, for seven years, you kind of get custom to a certain way. And even though I'm, I'm just getting into my starting role as, you know, mm-hmm. as a year-in, year-out starter, um, you still kind of have your routine. Even when you are a backup, you're ready to play every game. You, you study film like you're a starter. You work as hard as the starter. You just don't get as many reps. But what I would say is it was unique because it was truly my first year coming into a preseason, a training camp, 
where I was the undoubted starter, which was nice for me first time in my career. And then all of a sudden we have all these COVID restrictions. We have no preseason games. I'm, I'm one year under my belt as a starter, which is already hard enough uh, to keep the rhythm and the flow of things. It's not like, you know, I was a Bo Levi or a Mike right. Riley or a Trevor Harris, guys who have started year after year after year and a missed year didn't really affect them as much. I'm still trying to just figure out the whole starting role uh, as a quarterback and see what I like. And, and you know, I talked, I've talked about this in length about pulling things from Ricky Ray's game and Travis Lulay's game and watching Mike Riley and pulling things from his game. Um, but when you don't get to just experience the reps and have that experience of it, it's very hard, uh, especially coming off no year. So unique is, is the best way to put it. I'm a very, as you know, I'm a very personable guy, and I like to relate to everybody on the team. And I, I felt like last year, you know, we had two locker rooms because of the COVID stuff. I felt like there were guys on our teams I never even got to have an opportunity to have a conversation with. And, and that's just really hard in the professional sports world or any sports world when you don't feel connected to your team, especially when you want to be one of those leaders. Um, I just felt like it was very hard because we were never in the same room. Uh, team meetings, it was always, you know, we were separated. Quarterbacks were always in our room. Uh, running backs in their room. Offensive line in their room. DBs their room, right? So you never get to just sit and... Uh, be a part of a team atmosphere. So that's what I'm looking forward to most is just getting to know the guys better, sitting down, you know, whether in training camp and having these discussions of not only football but just personal life. And, and I love to hear guys' stories and where they started and how they've got to where they're at because it's so unique and cool. About a week ago I had uh, Shaq Evans on the show, and he told me that you apologized to him after the West Final for a lack of targets. Can you take us behind the dressing room door and, and, you know, how does that conversation go? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, sick to your stomach when one of your top your receivers doesn't even have a target. You know, it's one thing if you tried to target them a few times and maybe they're not in the flow of the game, so you went somewhere else. But that wasn't the case, you know. He didn't even get one ball. And, and in the Calgary game, you know, he had a couple more targets, but still not as much as a Shaq Evans, the guy who's, a top, in my opinion, a top receiver in the CFL. So uh, to take you behind the scenes, yeah, I, you know, I was sick to my stomach. I watched the tape. And, I, you know, during a game, you don't really know that. Let, let me stop you because I want to ask that. How does – because I've never played quarterback at a high level, okay, so far from me to call you yeah. out. But how – I'm watching this game. I'm doing the call-in show after. How the heck does that happen? How don't, how don't you get him the ball? Like how, I know you've got a bunch of things on your plate, but you'd think you'd know if you had thrown at the shack or not. Absolutely. You know, honestly, you, you don't. You, you go as, you know, each play that comes in, you kind of give you or take what the defense gives you is, mm -hmm. is the best way to put it. And, you know, Winnipeg had a great uh, boundary corner in Winston Rose, but they, it wasn't so much that they were taking Shaq away as they were just kind of leaving uh, the way they play their defense. They left a little bit more um, to the field side. And that's where you kind of make your hay is throwing a little bit more to the field side as opposed to the boundary because they were pretty solidified in the boundary and they do a good job. But um, as you go through the game, you really don't know. And I, I wish somebody would have told me, and, and this kind of speaks to Shaq's character. Shaq didn't come up to me and be like, hey, man, I, I got no passes. Like, give me a ball. You know, he, I, I had no idea throughout the entire game until I got home and watched the West Final and Coach Moss and I were watching and we're like, how does Shaq Evans not have a ball? 
Now, there was one play in the final drive we set up to get Shaq a big post ball, and he was open. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't have as much time as we needed in the pocket, but um, it's just that was one of those things, and I talked to Shaq about the year. It was just not his year, and, and, and I talked to him, and I said I went down to SoCal. This was about, I don't know, maybe a week, a week and a half ago, and I worked out with Schaefer Baker, and I worked out with Shaq, which was awesome, and I told him, I can guarantee you the rest of your career with me as a quarterback, I, you will not go a game without at least one target. <laughs> and uh, I, I worked really hard recruiting Shaq back because, you know, yeah. he had a right in the world to want to test free agency, especially when you're in the biggest game of the year and you don't even get a target and you feel like you're the best uh, receiver in the league. And your quarterback, I always say, you know, he's one of the best receivers in the league. And you're like, well, I'm not getting the ball. So do you really believe that? So we had a heart to heart and, uh, I'm glad he's back with us. I'm glad he's going to be healthy. I'll tell you this, our workout down in SoCal with those two guys was incredible. I mean, our timing was so much better. And and I think of a guy like Schaefer Baker, who was just kind of thrown onto the scene. And here we are just trying to get reps throughout the season because there's no preseason. The training camp isn't as, you know, competitive as a true game. Uh, Shaq misses a ton of games with a broken foot. It's astonishing that you can come back and play. So, Cody, that that was one of my questions. How challenging is it to keep all those great receivers happy? Because it's great to have that many receivers that are good, but there's only one football to go around. Yeah, that's a great play. It's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. We only got one football. Uh, if I could cut it in five different pieces and on every play everybody gets a piece of ball, I would gladly do that. But uh, that's just part of football. One game, it's going to be your day, and one game, it's not going to be your day. And it just depends on what defense they're taking away, defense they're giving us. Uh, but all of our receivers believe in that. All of our receivers know that. But it's one thing when they you don't get a target, right? You want to have the opportunity to catch a ball. Um, so moving forward, I'm, I'm extremely excited about our offense. I think one of the things that's going to pay us so many dividends from last year is we were very young on offense. A lot of guys who are first-time starters – uh, in the league, first-time starters in green and white, first-time starters with me. Um, so uh, we won a lot of football games that we might not have, uh, you know, any business winning, but we just grinded it out, we gritted it out, and uh, we believed in one another. But now I think the camaraderie of this team and this offense is going to be gel so much better. And I can already see it with my meetings with Coach Moss. You know, him and I, most people don't even think about that. You know, you have a whole year off, and then you have right. a whole new offense, an offensive coordinator who has experience, obviously, in the league, but he doesn't have any experience with me, and I don't have any experience with him. None of our players really had experience with him. So uh, we're trying to learn this brand-new offense virtually meeting where you can't do it sitting in the same room and talk about some of the problems that come up. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that were behind the scenes that kind of affected our play. Now, it seems like everybody's talking as if we were the worst team in the CFL right. to make the playoffs, and uh, you know we were a bad football team. That's that's not the case at all. We you know we went to the West Final back to back years. We gave the the Great Cup back to back Great Cup champs a, a run for their money at their home stadium in the terrible cold. Um, but uh, to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm excited about this year, and I'm very optimistic about this year because of that camaraderie we're going to have with Coach Moss and myself with the receivers, with our offensive line. I just I just feel like the arrow and everything is pointing up for the, us this year, and I'm excited about it. Last question for you, buddy, because you're very busy. You're a really good and decent guy. Everybody knows that. 
Are you going to handle the noise differently? You know what I mean? Because you are in the fishbowl. You're in the most glamorous uh, spot to play CFL football. You're the quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which would be like being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys or Green Bay Packers. And you had a little... You know, there was some social media stuff last year. Are you going to do a different, are you going to take a different approach as to blocking the noise out? Uh, I, either, you know, what you hear in the media or what you hear in social media. You know, it, it's very tough. And, and the easy answer that everybody tells me is just get off of it. But uh, to tell you the truth, I'll, I'll never do that because I talk about all the time what a platform I've been given. And, and you guys know me as a faith-based person. Mm-hmm. When, when God gives you something, you don't just shut it down and be like, no, I'm not going to do it because it's too hard for me or mentally it's too tough for me. You know, I'm going to go through those growing pains. I'm going to go through those troublesome games where I, I'm going to maybe struggle a little bit and people are going to call for my head. And, you know, I, I learned a lot last year. But I'm also going to use my platform that I've been given because you talk about this fishbowl as it being like a negative thing. I think on the opposite side, it can be so positive. Um, I've already had, you know, a, a handful of young uh, kids in the Saskatchewan area reach out to me on social media just saying, hey, you're my favorite player. I love watching you play. I want to, you know, emulate my game to be after you. And, and those are the messages. It, it always seems like the negative outweighs the positive, but there are so many of those positive messages that you can kind of draw from. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me this year is not put too much pressure on myself. Um, I think it came to a point with injuries and a young team on offense, especially, I felt like I tried to do too much at times, um, especially coming off a great 2019 year. Uh, I, I remember in 2019, I just was kind of having fun with it. And, and last year, it was more of, it seemed more of a job to me, like, oh, I got to make everybody better. I got to make everybody better and didn't let the game actually come to me. And so that's something I've been working on in this offseason. I'm really excited to try and implement that into my game and and kind of have more fun. The fun that I had in 2019, instead of putting so much pressure, there's already going to be so much pressure on me. There's going to be so much pressure on this team. The Grey Cups in Sask, uh, coming off back-to-back losses in the West Final, uh, having a baby mid-season. Like, if you want a pressure-packed season, this is the one. And uh, I can't put any more added pressure to me. I just want to go out and prove to this uh, province, prove to this team and organization that I am their quarterback for the long haul. And I hope that both sides are mutual. I can't wait to see it. And by the way, last one, I'm going to slide in here. Are you going to keep seven or are you going to your favorite number 17? Come on, give us a little exclusive here. Yeah, (laughs) the exclusive is I'll stick with seven as long as I'll be with the Rough Riders. And I talked about this before. I've seen the price ticket on those uh, jerseys and they are dang expensive. So uh, it's not fair to me to, to switch a number, even though I like number 17 a lot. Um, it, it's it's a, a commitment, a financial commitment that a lot of fans have made to pick the number seven. And uh, I'll be here's my exclusive. I'll be sticking with the seven as long as I'm in the the green and white. I'll be in that number seven. Good. Now we can buy all the seven jerseys up, white or green, retro, whatever. <laughs> Thanks for this, Cody. I appreciate it. Have yourself a good rest of the day. Okay, my friend. Thank you, Balzi. Great uh, great being on the show again. It's been a while, so happy oh. to be talking about football. Yeah, it's awesome. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Wherever you're listening today, thanks for making us part of your day. Ballsy in the big chair. Our show brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. 
And you can weigh in on the show, 936-6262. It is our text line powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one GM dealership. I want to point out there was no cornhole this weekend. That's why we don't have a cornhole update. But there is going to be one Thursday. Uh, provided my son can come in, I'm going to be going. Are you are you joining our team Thursday? Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. Thursday, what time? Uh, well, i got to line that up with Caesar. But you we'll line get, it up with Caesar, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, okay, good. We're going to rock and roll, man. You and I are going to kick some serious oh, yeah. butt. Yeah, man. We're gonna Your own. son's going to be our ringer, yeah, though. He's going to be our ringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. D1 athlete. D1 athlete. And he, yeah, yeah. he's winning, and I think his... His uh, beer pong skills, because he was to, oh, yeah. he was sending the old Snapchats oh, on the weekend, yeah. and he was destroying it at his buddy's house. So I think that'll well, you know, translate. You know what the kids are doing now? They're taking those uh, those 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 robots that clean the floor. Yeah, and they're putting the cups on the robots, uh, and you got to now the now it's moving. moving. Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. He's, he went twelve and zero on the weekend, so we got a oh, ringer. Good for him. We got, oh, and, yeah. and that's when he's been drinking. So if he's yeah, sober yeah. at the start, yeah. we're gonna destroy <laughs> you know, the airmail contest. <laughs> you and I'll be stacking. Man. Chance. Man, this, this is going to be so easy. <laughs> so, Hungarian Club, Thursday, you might want to check it out. Hey, Luke, how was your daughter Maddie's uh, uh, big uh, fight oh, in man. Red Deer? You know what? So, she pulled out. She came back. Jiu-Jitsu, what was it? Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. yeah. She came back with a silver medal. This was her first tournament in two years. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, it didn't, like... Nothing went her way. She was sick. Um, she just didn't have any energy. She was she was throwing up between rounds, mm-hmm. like and not COVID sick guys. Don't worry, we had yeah, her tested. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You know what I told her? I said, I, and I think because she, I think she felt a little bit disappointed. You know that she didn't get to compete the way she wanted to. And I said, man, you know, and I think that it's partly because we drove so it was an eight hour drive to Red Deer. I was like, man, Maddie, I'll watch, I'll drive for twenty hours just to watch you do what yeah. you love because you know it's just you know how it is. It's good seeing your kids well, compete. And you know what? No you, what, you, made right? a, you make a good point. We talk about pro athletes and all stuff. We just had Cody on talking yeah. about it. And if you missed that interview, it'll be on our uh, podcast later. But how about the amateur athletes? Yeah. Like your daughter, she hasn't competed yeah. in two years. That's the thing. It was her first tournament back in two years. I was I was stoked. I was so happy to just watch her, her out there and try to compete. And you know what? I'll take her battling and going through adversity all day over her driving, us driving eight hours, um, and her submitting her opponents in eight seconds every single time. Like, that would just be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That means it wasn't worth it. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of her. We got back yesterday. She's uh, she's resting up, and now she's got her provincial Copa Sask is coming up here in two months, yeah. so that's her next focus. So uh, Scheffler wins the Masters, but Tiger Woods limps through the last three rounds. And, yeah, it was not good in terms of scoring, but yeah. it was a victory for him nonetheless, yeah. man, to do what he did. Okay, let's just review this again. Limb-threatening, life-threatening, career-ending injury, car mm-hmm. accident. That should have been. that. Those are what it should have been. Right. Okay. Um, and he chose the Masters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that not, was the tournament that the he chose. Not the windmill hole. Yeah, not the not the waste management tour. Yeah, and he made the cut. That's the he made the Friday cut. Like I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um. So that was that way, and it's good for golf, man. It's good for golf. The, there was people there because of Tiger. Right? Yeah. And, and that's how. And the purses are large. So, but uh, man. Uh, I yeah I I can't I still can't believe it I still cannot believe that man came out there chose the Masters yeah. to to do what he did. My three favorite players in order in NBA history are Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant, yeah, probably Magic Johnson. I wouldn't even put LeBron James in the top <laughs> three. This guy is a clown show. Now he says now he says well I'm going to keep my hands off the team this off season after. 
He makes them blow out young guys like Kuzma to yeah. bring in a selfish guy like Russell Westbrook and Dwight Howard, who didn't have a bad year. Man, AD, Carmelo. The, AD, the biggest Band-Aid, and they're the oldest team. They missed the playoffs, and now LeBron's backing away from it. And then they fire their coach, Frank Vogel. With, they don't even have the dignity to fire him. He finds out yeah. from an NBA reporter on a tweet. Uh-huh. You know what, man? I, I think this is a pretty... I know it's a broad statement, but there are a select handful of well-run organizations in any sports league. A lot of upper management the and ownership. Used to be one of those and teams. ownership, terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. The Lakers used to be a really well-run team. Yeah. Right? Jerry West was involved yeah. still. And just, man, it's been a gong show since Genie Bus took over. Yeah. Right? And, um, and just... You're right. I mean, it was LeBron on it was on LeBron's pushing that they put that old team together. There wasn't going to be enough ice and stim in the world to carry that team and their age group through the year. Like you, no amount of Denny's uh, <laughs> seniors discounts, nothing was going to get them through the year. And and he was even on record as saying, "Hey, you guys keep keep all that energy at the end of the year as you guys are took because because everybody yeah. was like, oh man, they're so old.' And he, and he he took offense and look what happened. And now he's separating himself. And of course, Vogel takes the Frank Vogel is going to be hired. If, if he's not hired already, he's going to be hired in the snap of finger. He's a really good basketball. Well, coach. you if you take out the bubble tournament when they won the championship, yeah. and they won it because guys like AD and LeBron could rest for three months yeah. or four months when the league was powered down. If you take that just that one out, they've only had one. Playoff series victory in 11 years. They've yeah. changed coaches six times in 11 years and yeah. only won 41% of their games. You know, and the worst part is the biggest bust out of all of this isn't Russell Westbrook. Isn't it? It's actually Anthony Davis. When he came over from the New Orleans Pelicans, everybody thought, like, because we were watching him there, yeah. and you're like, oh, man, this guy's the best player in the NBA that nobody knows about. Because So when he came to L.A., it was like, okay, this guy is now going to be... Mm-hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo level yeah. good, right? Like, he's going to dominate the league, and it just hasn't happened. Well, when like, he he's plays, just... he's good, but he doesn't play all the yeah. time. Yeah, he's and, a band-aid. And, and, you know, we make fun of LeBron, or I do, but he still had a great year. Like, LeBron had uh, unbelievable that's, numbers. You know what? That's, that's what, actually, I hate about LeBron more, is that he's such a he's such an emotional pansy yeah. off the court, but he's he is greatness personified on the court like he's 30 whatever yeah. right now and he's putting up the numbers that he put up but then he's got this mental side to him he gets wrapped up in the social yeah, media yeah, and you know yeah. i asked i just asked before we go to break i just asked cody that cody fajardo but he said he's not backing away from it he had a tough time last year with social media he said he's not backing away from it and i know the coach was like coach dickey was like you know i i just hope he doesn't get wrapped up too much into that especially yeah. in this uh, environment well you can't because you can't be you can't be on the fence about it, right? If you're going to leverage all the good things about social media and you're going to build your fan base and you're going to, right, like he's doing autograph signings yep. and card signings, um, um, scavenger yeah. hunts. Great right? dude, yeah. Great dude. You have to be able to take the bad that comes with that. And this is Rider Nation, and, and they're going to have a voice on social media whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's Luke Moliner, our color commentator on the Rough Riders Radio Network. I'm Ballsy, and coming up, we're going to be joined by Glenn Suter for his... Uh, uh, hit, which happens three times a week right here on the Sports Cage. Our show today brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKR. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome back inside the Sports Cage. Wherever you're listening today, thanks for making us part of your day. We thought we were headed for spring, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> spring blizzard, man. Yeah, at least you got back before the blizzard. My kid is supposed to be coming here yeah. Thursday. Rented a hot tub for him so we can have a great time in the backyard. And he might not even make it here, so it's kind of it's a little bit tough. It was a tough, you know. We talked about the mental health of athletes, okay? Like with your daughter competing for the first time in a couple years. My kid got to compete and everything, and he got to go to school. Different rules down in the states, but like you know, we made a decision between North Dakota and Calgary where he was going to go, yeah. and we thought, okay, well, one is seven and a half hours away, and one seven and a half hours away, yeah. and this one is better football, so I'm going to send them down. So uh, much I'm going to send them. Well, we're getting better, better here, coaching. and we're better. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with. Like, I love Canada. I'm a supporter, I but I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to send them here, but I might as well send them to China because for a year I couldn't get to see the guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was kind of tough. So whenever we get a chance to see each other. Yeah, it's special, right? It's special, yeah. and, it, and and so we're hoping that happens. Hey, when we have this guy on, it's Glenn Suter. Uh, his segment brought to you by Quality Tire with 10 locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Suits, you and I were on the banquet circuit. I did the dinner, the Regina Red Sox dinner, highly successful. They called it their best one ever. We raised some good money for that ball team. They're going to be back playing at Curry Field, their first game, May 31st. You were on the road. I've done a few dinners out there, Macklin and Plenty. Uh, what was the vibe out there? Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah, I, I want to thank all the people that attended at both Macklin and in Plenty, Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, I I thought I'd been at, in all the corners and small <laughs> towns in, in the province, and I, I realized quickly that there are so many more. But, you know, I got a, I got a quickly couple shout-outs, if I can, Ballsy, because, uh, I, you know, what you, you know the routine. You go in. Uh, in the first one in Macklin, I was auctioned off. Dan Clark and I were both auctioned off, so we would have dinner mm-hmm. with the table that won the auction. Obviously, all the money raised is for amateur sports, amateur football in the in the community. And so I got a chance to sit and have dinner with the mayor of Macklin, Stephen Lowe, and and uh, his party. And we, we sat and had a, a nice chat and a nice dinner there. And then they auction off your jersey, signed jersey. And, of course, Dan and I were modeling Dan's slightly larger model than I am as far as the runway goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I have to thank Stan Locke and Macklin, who who bid on my jersey and got it from Locke Farms, and also Robin and Lori Kosh, who mm-hmm. there was a second one. And they invited, Lori invited Dan and I to dinner the next morning, or excuse me, brunch the next morning. And I I was introduced, you probably know about this, but I was introduced to Stretchies. Yes. You know what a stretchy is? Yep. I do know what a stretchy is. Tell the folks. Yeah. So the deep fried thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a deep fried like Yeah, it's hard it? to it's hard to explain. It it's hard to explain. Like it's like it's it's a weird concoction for breakfast, but it's awesome. Yeah, just unbelievable. I, I think Dan Clark has the new record oh, well, of course for yeah stretch he's eaten i i want to say it was you know double figures for sure mm-hmm. uh and then we went to plenty and brendan weiss you know i i almost got emotional we were we were talking and another great crowd talking about you know what makes canadian football great and the great canadian aspects in canadiana and it was that kind of night really patriotic feeling night and brendan weiss from um weiss electric in plenty saskatchewan basically went through the roof on a bid. I, I won't say how much it was for the jersey, 
but I'm going to take him and, and the, the people who bid on the jersey, the two seven jerseys, out for lunch in Saskatchewan as part of it, and uh, a little tour of the, of the TV booth because he put down some real cash to, to get this jersey, mm-hmm. and we did a nice picture. And I want to thank those guys because as long as I outbid, uh, the jersey went for higher than Bob Poley, I can live with yeah. it because yeah. <laughs> if, if Poley's jersey went for more than mine did, and by the way, Poley, Dan Clark, and I in our jerseys, probably over ten grand. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Bob Poley, and you know this, Luke, from being here a long time. Bob okay. Poley, I've been, I've been at dinners where there's been Dick Irvin and some other great NHL Nobody guys, cares. and people don't care. Yeah. They care about Bob Poley. Absolutely. It's crazy, isn't that guy's it? That awesome, too, man. Yeah. He's so engaging. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Dan Clark, uh, Glenn Suter, and Luke Mulder, Dan Clark is in that same ilk. Like, he's got that same persona, scrappy, came up from the junior ranks, practiced with the junior team, then played with the team. Like, Luke, that guy is, uh, he, he continues to defy all odds. Well, nothing nothing was given to Dan Clark. Everything yep. that he, he I mean, he they tried to cut him every single year, you could tell. All yep. the way up to last year, they were probably still trying to cut him, right? Yep. So that guy, man, he's resilient, um, and he's a smart football player, but he's Saskatchewan tough. And, yeah. uh, man, you can't tell him no. Yeah, hey, we both talked about this, Luke, before Glenn got on here. This is a huge year for this offensive line, and there's one wild yeah. card wild card that needs to come back healthy and not only that but needs to come back in shape yeah Taryn Vaughn yeah absolutely yeah I, I didn't think Taryn Vaughn was in great shape last year when he came back and 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 I'm not saying that the shape he was in um led to the shoulder injury but uh, it was just uh, I think it was a really unfortunate set of circumstances and and hopefully because here's the thing we need Taryn Vaughn back and playing well yeah Period. Yeah, and, and your thoughts on the Riders' O line, uh, Luke? You spent, or I mean, uh, Glenn, you spent some time with Dan Clark, who we think will be the centerpiece there. But they've got, uh, you know, they've had a couple of nice additions with Campbell out of Toronto, and if they can get a healthy Taron Vaughn back in shape, as Luke alluded to, that'll go a long way for Cody Fajardo. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I've got some inside info now from Dan because it was really great to get to know Dan, uh, you know, quite well. I mean, you spend a lot of time together at these banquets and sit and chat at the table and after the fact and all of that and at the breakfast as well so you know i just first of all with dan clark uh you know this this is a guy that the rider fans should be super proud of and not just because of his play and how he approaches the game but this is a a real leader i mean we we had a lot of in-depth talks about you know just philosophies and approach and dan is the right guy I mean, he, he's going to take that group and make them better. Uh, he mentioned Logan Furland quite often as somebody that we should all be watching, that he thinks he's going to really have a, a big, big year. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you guys on, on Vaughn. So I, I think they'll be much improved. But what I got when I got to know Dan throughout the last three days, he's the right guy, man. He is a leader. As Luke mentioned, as you mentioned, Luke, sass tough. I mean, when he got in that car accident in 19, he went through the seatbelt, through the window, hit the hit Mother Earth, and Mother Earth lost that battle. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's it's funny how lucky life is, or unlucky. You got a guy like Dwayne Haskins, Luke, who yeah. uh, runs out of gas allegedly, and he ca- crosses the highway and gets struck by a dump truck. You got a guy like Dan Clark, who's out doing community things like Dan Clark does, doesn't 
you know, flies out of the flies out of the car, should be dead, comes yeah. back and has an unbelievable year. Yeah. It's amazing how you know fortune shines on one guy and misfortune on the other guy. Yeah, and I'm real. I'm I'm a real believer in in. in in what you put into the universe, the universe gives back to you, right? Yeah. And I think that Dan Clark's situation and just in life and his viewpoint on life and, and the way he's he's managed to string his career together, mm-hmm. it just speaks like, man, if you talk to him, like Suits, for instance, Suits says he's, he's spent, uh, you know, significant time talking mm-hmm. with I mean you get it once you talk to him and get to know him yeah right? hey did you get hey did you get an inside scoop Suter is is uh, Labatt coming back uh, he didn't want to go there I actually yeah he was asked that not just by me by by a lot of the f- uh, people that were there at the dinner uh, because he did a little Q&A as part of his MC duties and uh, that was one of the questions and he was very respectful of of Brennan just you know making his own decision that he's there to support his teammate either way but um, he didn't really have the answer to that but I I tell you what the the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have a Roger Aldag type of leader at at in their offensive line with Dan Clark. Mm-hmm. So what you were going to say something about Labatt there, Luke? People need to cut it out. That's what yeah. I'm going to say. About yeah. he, Labatt's yeah. not coming back. No. Period. I don't think so either. End of story. No. If he didn't come back after last camping season, no. it's very tough to come. It's very tough to come back. And I want to ask you guys a question because I had Cody on here. Don't know if you heard it, Glenn, but Cody yes. Fajardo was on. How do you... <laughs> I got a comment from each of you guys because I asked him this. How do you play in a Western final... And you don't throw the ball, or even though you haven't attempted to throw the ball to Shaq Evans, that is that is crazy to me. I'll start with you, Glenn. What do you think about that? When 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 Cody said he didn't realize, and Moss didn't realize. I even put it more on Moss than Cody. They both didn't realize till they watched the game after that Shaq wasn't targeted. Yeah, you know, I, I think all three can sort of take a little bit of the responsibility for that. When I say three, I'm I'm adding Shaq to the discussion. I mean, you know, if if you're a number one target and that's what he is skill wise, I know he didn't have the best year, but from just overlook you know, the outside looking in, he is a skilled player, top top in the league and and he can come and make that suggestion to his O C. I wouldn't do it in the huddle necessarily. I don't think quarterbacks necessarily like that. But any time, you know, Cody's the type of personality, as you guys know, that, you know, if a receiver walked up to him and just said, hey, I've got a couple of routes that I can work, you don't have to say throw the ball to me. You don't have to say, you know, yell at him or, you know, give me the damn ball or anything like that. Just say, hey, I got some stuff that can work here. Take a look. And that's the same with the OC. So, uh, you know, I, I think the three of them, I, I really enjoyed that Cody interview. I think people should go back on and listen to his approach and the fact that he has worked now probably more reps prior to last season in the week, in last week when they got together to just work out and throw the ball around. That was probably more work than he did prior to kicking off the season in the regular season last year. Mm-hmm. Well, I take a different angle uh, on Shaq's involvement in, in the last time we were out there. And... Um, and I'll say this, it's uh, out of sight, out of mind. And the reason why we didn't see Shaq featured is because he wasn't part of the plan um, in Moss's and, and Cody's mind. Um, now, they can say whatever they want, mm-hmm. right? But Jason Moss, Jason Moss 
is a smart offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing and he knew what the game plan was. And I don't think it, I just don't think it can, um, it involved Shaq Evans. It just because the maybe way, they weren't in sync all year with the injuries and well, everything like that. I think a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I, I get the negativity around some of Shaq's comments and some of the behaviors that we, we saw Shaq exhibit, but that game is mm-hmm. too important to not throw the football to your best players in your quarterback's mind and in your offensive coordinator's mind. So yeah, if if I I'll say if look. I say, oh, you know what? It's third. I didn't even realize I didn't throw the ball to you yet. You know why that is? Because there were guys that we could depend on in my mind a lot more than mm. we could depend on you. Glenn, you had a comment. Yeah. Hey, Ballsy, quickly. I just I don't think for a second that they consciously took Shaq completely out of the. Because if they were going to do that, they'd just play somebody else. I mean, honestly. I mean, you're not going to play with 11 the whole game offensively and just say, uh, I'm going to eliminate him because he's having a bad year. He, he, you know, he is he was a great athlete. And, and somehow between the three of them, this is just, you know, we're, these are theories from both of us, but I, I just think somehow the three of them just didn't keep track. And, and they were... By the time the game was into the fourth quarter, probably didn't even realize. I mean, Cody mentioned in the interview he didn't even realize it until he watched it played back. So, but I don't think for a second Jason Moss went in there and went, "Well, we're not throwing to him because he had a bad year, so just eliminate." What I find interesting about that whole comment and my back and forth was with Cody was. Shaq is even admitted to me on the show. He has anger management stuff. He's dealing with that. He's learning to deal with that. But he, according to Cody, he didn't come to him in the game and say, throw me the ball, which when I'm watching Shaq from a distance, I'm like, well, this guy gets pretty heated. He's throwing his helmet. He gets mad. So if he didn't come to him, like, what is going on there? But anyway, we're going to take a break, continue with our chat with Luke Mulliner and Glenn Suter. This is the Sports Cage on a Monday. It's brought to you by Andrew Shared Limited on 620 CK. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Sports ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090. Blue Jays in action. And uh, right now, two out in the top of the third. They're leading the New York Yankees two to nothing as they started the season uh, two and one, uh, beating the Rangers two out of three uh, in the NHL. Winnipeg and Montreal are scoreless right now uh, in Montreal. All right, as the Jets try to keep their playoff hopes alive. Continuing our talk with Glenn Suter and Luke Mulder, this segment is brought to you by Quality Tire with 10 locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Okay, so we were talking, Luke, about the dysfunction that is the L.A. Lakers. They are interested, apparently, in Nick Nurse to come there. But you look at the Toronto Raptors. Out of a our te- cold, dead well, hands. Well, a team, well, and I think he's an unbelievable. He, he is right there with uh, one of the best coaches in all of pro sports right now, in my opinion. So they were supposed to have a 35-win season, and now they're in the playoffs. And, you know, now even Shaq's walking back his prediction of the uh, Sixers sweeping the Raptors in the first round. I think well, we're winning that. I think you win in six. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge Raptors fan, but I love Nick Nurse. Where I'm going with this is, it, you know, you can you can generally pick out the organizations that have a good front office and have good ownership. Now, you know, you look at the CFL, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have quality, consistent, I mean they're community owned, but they're front office. Calgary, 
Saskatchewan. Like, it's true what they say, Glenn. It starts at the top, right? And I think those three organizations are really, uh, really solidified themselves as three of the top ones now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you, you, different eras, you've seen different strengths and weaknesses from these franchises, but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have been consistent for years and years. And, you know, again, it starts with with the mentality of that you're serving uh, you're serving the province, not the big boss or or the big corporation in the province. You you're there for the fans. It's the fans' team. It's football fans' team, and you're gonna do what you can to help facilitate you know that entertainment value for the fan. And uh, I think when your owner or your or your general manager is doing that, your president, and you hire the right people, they're always putting the team and the people first and the players second. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. the player himself is a person first and a player second, and and you should be fine if you have that approach. I mean, it's really that quite that simple. You know, Luke, you look at the Riders in 2013. Last time they hosted a Grey Cup, they went all in. G. Roy Simon, the Diamond Fairies of the world, uh, the Dwight Andersons. Right? They went yeah. old. They went star power, veteran mm-hmm. guys. And when they had to rise to the occasion, like G. Roy Simon, first two Grey Cup touchdowns, he did during the year it was 600 yards, but he added leadership. How about this approach to Jeremy O'Day, Craig Dickens, and the staff this year? It wasn't like they, they didn't go that route. I mean, I think they signed the stars they needed to, A.C. Leonard, Duke Williams, those kind of guys. Do you like their offseason and the approach they took that way? Kind, kind of build over. I think their well, approach is we don't want to be one and done. We want to be in the mix all the time. Well, if you look at the Riders and you look at the Bombers, right? Yeah. So compare them. Yeah. I mean, essentially, both believe in the same thing right now, right? Yeah. Take, take the Bombers, what did they do? They went and re-signed their key guys, their mm-hmm. core guys. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I mean, they had a lot of the signings done before the the, the offseason started because they focused on their core guys as well. I think the reason why we look at them very differently is because one won a great cup and one has not won a great cup. All right? So um, I don't mind the approach. Do I wish that they would have done a little bit more to solidify some depth on the offensive line? Absolutely. Do I wish they would have done a little bit more um, to bring somebody in the secondary, like, for instance, Luchez Purifoy back, right? Like, I mm-hmm. think that should have been a priority. But, hey, I mean, at the end of the day, they brought back their core guys. They, they That's all solid teams that have any type of success and have, have great locker rooms, there's a, there's a number of significant core guys in there. Even with the Riders when yeah. they did that in 2013, mm. everybody talks about the talent that they brought in, but people don't talk enough about those guys were automatically going to be core locker room guys because of the experience mm. they had. They were great dudes. Two interesting guys last year that were, you know, one guy came out of camp, one guy was a known commodity but got hurt. I think it's going to help the secondary out. Glenn, you've touched on him, Mike Edom. Uh, Mike Edom is an all-star caliber safety when he's healthy, when he can stay on the field. I know he's north of 30, but, I mean, I think, uh, you know, he's in, he'll be okay this year. And A.J. Hendy was a guy that popped in camp, left over playing time. He's back. Those are two intriguing names for me, Glenn, in the secondary for the Riders this year. Yeah, Mike Edom is a guy that this time last year, I, I had them penciled in. Like, I do my charts for each team just with pencil before the preseason to see, you know, who I think is going to really pop off the page. And I put him down as the Western free safety uh, all-star. I, I thought he would he would be ready to do that. Then he got hurt and he got nicked and that got sidetracked. But I, I, I have, uh, you know, 
nothing but uh, good things to say about what I see with how he. You know, I can see him command control back there. He's he's really got a quarterback. It makes sure everyone lined up right. But he's got. I I think he's of all the free safeties in the league, he's got these instincts that maybe he doesn't get enough credit for with just a nose for the ball and how to, you know, get from point A to point B quickly. Because you have to, at that position, you have to do it just before the quarterback throws it. And that is not a guess, but it's reading your keys. And as he goes to take that first step and then rear back to let it go, that's when you leave. And if you leave just before it leaves his hand, because the field's so big, you got a chance to make a play. So I, I really like him. And, you know, I think he's going to be an all-star if he can stay on the field and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. True veteran, um, core guy, teacher out on the field, right? Um, and what I love most about him is that he understands the scheme of the defense, not his position in the defense. So mm-hmm. he, he doesn't know. He knows what everybody else is supposed to be doing. And one of the things that does for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, it gives them a guy that can play in multiple spots in a crunch, mm-hmm. right? You can move him around, put him at that strong side linebacker spot, right? Like move, if you have some injuries, you get flexibility out of a leader um, like Mike Edom. So mm-hmm. that that's another thing mm-hmm. that I really appreciate that one of the, you know one of the things that Suits didn't mention is is that ability to go into all spots and provide much needed experience and playmaking ability in those spots. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our time. On the other side, uh, we'll get to some more football talk. And Glenn, tomorrow we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the what the fans are saying out there in Plenty and Macklin to get a read on you know the Canadian of the CFL because I'm sure you uh, answered and asked some questions yourself. So we'll get into that tomorrow. Thanks for your time, Glenn. Love it. Thanks. Have a good night, guys. That is Glenn Suter on the Western Pizza Hotline. Luke, thanks for your time, man. We'll talk to you on Friday, brother. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CK. And this is the Sports Cage on this Monday, and we love to highlight local athletes, and this is our Athlete of the Week. It's Max Polischuk, a former Sheldon Williams Spartan who played some of his high school in the States and is now with uh, the SDSU Jack Rabbits uh, joining us on the uh, Western Pizza Hotline. This show is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherritt.com. Welcome to the show, Max. Uh, are you pretty excited for your first D1 season coming up here this fall? Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, it's been a, a long time, it, like a long journey, but I'm super excited to to finally take this next step and and play some college football. So tell us about your journey, which started in you know RMF, but then you went on to the high school rank. So you were at Sheldon for a couple of years. Yeah, so I played my first two and a half year, or my I spent my first two and a half years at Sheldon. I played two football seasons there. Um, my first year, I played def- like defense. I played um, pretty much everywhere. And then my second season, I played both ways. And then I, we made the decision to move my last year and then do a post-grad year down in Florida at Clearwater Academy. Mm-hmm. So I spent my last two year, two seasons of high school football in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Uh, and then I ended up getting my uh, offer to South Dakota State. On I did a, a camp tour where I did a bunch of college camps over the course of June last year. 
Did you do it with our with our buddy Zelko Stefanova? Because I've got him coming up on the show before this show is done, and he's planning another one of those in June. My son did that too. It's a great opportunity for uh, local kids to get uh, exposure down south. Oh, yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity. I did mine on my own with my parents. We'd rented an RV, and we traveled oh, okay. around the country. But, uh, no, I've been on the phone with him several times and talking to him about what camps um, I thought were the best and just at, like he was asking me about some of the stuff. Yeah, that, that's a key, you know. Uh, kids and parents can send their tapes here from Canada to the United States, but those coaches really aren't buying your tapes. or It kind of maybe whets their appetite, but you need to get down there and get exposure. Like, they got to see, they got to do the eyeball test on you. Yeah, the eye test is huge. It's just first impressions are everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us about your experience in Florida. What was that like, and how much did that help you, uh, you know, uh, open the doors for D1 football? Oh, it was unbelievable. The level of football, like high school football down there, was just eye-opening. You just The speed and the quickness and that athleticism was unmatched. I think Saskatchewan has some very, very good coaching and some very, very good skill development. And most players have a very good understanding of the game, but the athleticism is just, it's, it's something different down there. So, and, so uh, you were a receiver, right, Max? You did play a bit of defense. You were a receiver. I saw you running routes. I saw some of your stuff online, but you make the switch to uh defensive back much like my son did what do you like about that switch and how tough was it for you it it was I, I've always played a bit of defense uh, every year um but uh last spring ball I thought it was in my best interest to switch over to defense just for recruiting wise it's not to say I don't like the position of receiver but it's just there's probably 10 receivers for every db and it's just a better opportunity to play college football and do the thing I'd been dreaming of forever. And so that was the decision I made last spring ball and throughout spring. And then going into those college camps, I had about a month and a half of just defense under me before I was in front of college coaches, which was a bit stressful, but it turned out and worked out all right. And I'm going to the make my new home at South Dakota State. Yeah, in Brookings, South Dakota, where they have a pretty good safety room. So did that uh, did that weigh in at all into your decision making? Like they've got a pretty young safety room there. Yeah, I, I the safety room wasn't quite as young last year. They've moved some people around down to linebacker and a couple transfers. So that's I've like that's only really come this off season. Last year, I just my decision basically came down to a. Like I had a gut feeling and I knew that like that was my home. And I just, I felt so like I drove into Brookings and it it felt like driving into Regina. It felt like home and it Mm -hmm. felt like I was a lot closer to my family than I was back in Florida. And that was something I really valued. Max Polischuk, it can be a lonely uh, life chasing your dream south of the border. You're away from the friends you grew up with. You don't have uh, that immediate uh, friendship family base there to watch you play. Like, your parents get it because they go watch you or they, they, they watch you on TV. But it's not, you know, it's it's a different life than being, let's say, in Regina or in Saskatoon where people can travel and watch you play pretty easy. Oh, yeah. It's, 
it's it's so much different. I mean, this like you just it, it is a sacrifice to to leave home and leave all your friends that you've ever known just to go play football. And but if if it's your dream, like it it's always worth it. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And, you know, you talk about playing defense. Defense, you don't really have to rely on a guy getting you the football, uh, lineman blocking so that, so that there's enough time for the quarterback to get you the football. Now you're relying on your defensive teammates, but especially in the secondary, if you're a thinking man, it's great, to, it's great to play the secondary because you get to, you know, almost be like the quarterback back there. Yeah, you just you, you get to anticipate uh, a lot of stuff, um, and if if I like my base in offense, and I know most route concepts, I know what offenses are trying to do, makes it really easy to sort of see a slow breaking curl route from the wide out while I'm covering the slot, and I can break on the corner early. Just that sort of instinct. Do you find the Canadian game harder than the American game or vice versa? My, my son said it's more a formational game uh, as opposed to Canada where there's a lot a lot of things going on all over the place. Yeah, I think Canada is you, – you have to take deep shots more often just because of the less of a down. Um, so teams are forced to bring it a bit more vertical just to pressure it. But, um, no, the – American game is just it's a bit more slow paced with the play clock um they're just they're I think they're so much different as even though they're the same base game they're just so drastically different mm -hmm. so uh have you always dreamed about playing in the CFL uh since you were a little guy I mean, everybody wants oh, to play. Yeah. Everybody wants to play in the NFL because that's where all the money is. I get that, but I mean, have you always dreamed of maybe signing and playing with the Rough Riders or playing in the in the CFL one day? Oh yeah, that's that's been a huge dream of mine. I just I remember always going out to the Rider games with my jersey on and and thinking just like once I started playing football that like that was always something I wanted to do and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Hey, uh, lastly, Max Paulus, Chuck, talk about uh, your parents and the sacrifice they make to uh, make this all happen, because that should be uh, noted. Oh, yeah, I can't thank my parents enough. They allowed and paid for me to attend high school down in Florida, and they sacrificed a great deal, like not having me at home, and just like they've given me every opportunity to, to make my dream possible, and I can't thank them enough. We took a two week long bus tour from we drove from florida to brookings south dakota back down to florida it was hitting 20 or probably about 10 colleges on the way it was it was quite unbelievable but i can't thank them enough what made um, lastly what made you pick south dakota state university it came down to family i just i felt i felt that everyone there just was like just some of the most kind and welcoming people I've ever met. And I just, I felt so at home when, as soon as I met them and as soon as I met everyone, I just, I felt like I was in the right place. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a neat setup there because we got Max Paulischuk from Regina and Ethan Vibert, a Miller Marauder grad who's on the offensive line. So a little Saskatchewan flavor in Brookings, South Dakota. Thanks for this, Max. Good luck in your first year there. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for having me.
We're going to wrap up the sports cage, staying with the football talk, with the local football talk, similar to what I was discussing with Max Polischuk in the last segment here. We're talking with Zelko Stefanovic, who heads up the Sasselect football program. You guys just got back from San Antonio. Tell us about that successful venture once uh, once again. This is your 10th anniversary, by the way, too. It is, man. It's been 10 years going down south. Uh, this year was bigger and better than ever. Um you know, it was, uh, we ended up taking eight teams down. So six teams from Saskatchewan and then two teams from Alberta. So we played a lot of football over the course of, uh, over the course of a week. So it was a lot of fun, man. Like uh, we won a lot of games. We competed well in others and, uh, you know, it, it bodes well for football in Saskatchewan. That's for sure. So we're uh, punching above our weight here in Saskatchewan, so to speak. Well, a hundred percent, man. Like I tell you what, Michael, like, uh, you know, our kids are so much better than everyone here gives them credit for, man. Like, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand in the soapbox and keep talking about that every opportunity I get. Uh, you know, these kids are 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 going to be recruited by every single school in the country coming, you know, over the next few years. Not only that, but they're going to be recruited by U.S. schools as well. So, um, you know, they're 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 good, man. They're good football players. Well, uh, the selects program has helped my son get to North Dakota. Has helped. Ethan Viber get to SDSU, and Max Polischuk is joining SDSU as well. So that's a kind of nice little Regina tandem there in uh, the North, in the Dakota, so to speak. Yes, sir. I, I tell you, I mean, those kids fit so well into into that into those programs. Uh, you know, Max is is an absolute in, uh, incredible athlete. He's worked so hard to get where where uh, where he's where he's going. He's actually going to be coming on the bus, I think, with us when we go down to SDSU on the 13th of June, uh, and you know, to just to kind of go start his first day of of uh, NCAA college uh, life. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he spent three years with us training, and then uh, he spent one year at Clearwater. So we're so we're we're so proud of him, and and so excited for what you know what. How he's gonna how he's gonna do in the future? That's for sure. Yeah, and then you got Ethan Vibert there in uh, you know Miller Marauder grad in his second year there, and he'll be a, a mainstay on that offensive line. So that's cool. Yeah. So talk about that from uh, from the uh, recruiting perspective because I touched on it with Max in the earlier segment. It's great to send down tapes, and you need to do that, but that only kind of mildly piques U.S. coaches' interest. If you want to you wanna get the full Monty, you got to go down there. they got to do the eyeball test on you. And uh, you haven't been able to do that for a couple of years because of COVID, but you're doing that again. So just tell us what goes into this trip that you're taking the kids down on. Well, I tell you, you know, like it, it, this is a big part of our program. And, and, and this is a big part of our program growing um, and, and growing football in, in, this, in this province. So what, what we've done, be uh, before COVID is we, you know, we would, you know, load up a you know, bunch of kids and, and minivans or whatever it was. And, and then we hit camps. So this year, um, you know, in June, starting in June, we're take, we're, we're heading down to South Dakota state is going to be our first school. We're hoping to get into, uh, into your son's school and, and, you know, for a visit, if nothing else, because mm-hmm. their camp dates don't coincide with our, with our, with our trip, but we're going to SDSU is going to be the first school we're going to hit. Then we're going to go hit, Northwestern, uh, like we did with Ethan when he was with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to hit Kansas. We're going to hit Iowa State. We're going to hit. Uh, we're super excited about going to Nebraska this year because um, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's there's a there's a huge connection between what uh, Chris is doing with Nebraska and and uh, and us going there. So 
Coach Frost is, is we're, we're meeting him and some of the uh, players that actually went to Nebraska from San Antonio. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to end up going to uh, six schools, Balzi, over a part over a period of eight days. So it's going to be it's going to be hectic. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be busy. So uh, I'm you know, and and you know what? I think we're taking 20, 24, 25 kids. So you know, it, it's something that the kids um, uh, rarely get to experience here. They're short camps, as you well know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we took weekend that one year, three to four hour camps. Uh, pilot coaches always. You know, looking Division One coaches, Division Two coaches, Division Three coaches, um, and this is this is where they get their 22, 23, 24 uh, uh, recruiting uh, kids, right? So it's a lot of fun. You have to get in front of the coaches. You know, they want to see they want to see what you're like in person, and then and then uh, you know they follow it up with film and everything else. It's, but you know what? There has to be that that face to face interaction. They they, they want to see the kids. And they want to see the kids perform, right? So, and that's kind of what we're we're, we're that's kind of what we're all about. We, we're training the hell out of these kids uh, uh, throughout the winter, and then uh, in the spring, uh, they're going to go down and show what they have to these uh, to these American coaches. Zelko, uh, you know, and and I want to point this out. This isn't about just making sure our kids go to the United States and screw Canada. I mean, I think you're uh, open to uh, directing kids into their best possible spot so that doesn't mean hey i'm taking you down you need to go to division two over let's say u of a or u of s or u of r like you're going to be a guy that's going to be straight up with them and say hey this probably isn't you know what are you looking to do in school it's not all just about football no i mean i mean listen like uh, like we're all about giving kids an option right i mean we have so many kids in our select program that want to stay and play at home right and they're going to play for the u of r and listen Number one option has always been play, you know, be passionate about the game and play where you want to play, right? That's, that's what this program is entirely all, all about. You know what? There's, we've never in the last 10 years that we've been running this program ever said that something is, something is bad or something is, is, is you know, and we, we encourage kids to do what they want to be doing and what they're passionate about, whether it's RMF, whether it's, and we're U16, U18, U of R, U of S, the Thunder, like, I mean, man, we've got like probably 60 kids that were part of our program playing in those, at those different levels, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's always been, uh, you know, like our mainstay as, as far as developing the kids and allowing them to play at the next level. I don't care where it is, as long as they're passionate about what they do, uh, incorporating, we incorporate so many life skills in what we do and the kids go on to the next level and are successful. And, and look at like we have fourteen or fifteen kids playing at the at the U of S, a whole like probably just as many if not more at the U of R with the Thunder with the Hilltops. I mean, seventy five percent of the U of S's kids are from Saskatchewan. You know, so that bodes well for so, football in this province. Let me stop you though, and you're absolutely right because I can speak to it because my kid went on the trip. I can tell you right now, you're not BSing. That's you you, you open the doors. That's the key. You're opening the doors and a chance for a world of options people thought maybe they didn't have. But I'm just going to ask you, pretend I don't know what this is all about. I'm just asking you the question so people can hear it right from your mouth. When you say Kansas and Nebraska and Northwestern and and some of these schools, people are like, really? A kid from 
stout and can compete against somebody from Nebraska. But I need you to tell the people, no, our kids can compete. Like it's not like it's not like you're taking kids, you're taking their money and and you're not like it's not like you're taking their money. You're you're helping them because you believe in them and you're not setting them up for failures where I'm going with this. No man, like we're taking I'm taking two kids I'm leaving tomorrow, I'm taking two kids to Texas Tech. You know, I mean that's a, that's a power five school. You, you know what? Like again, you know, I've been saying this for ten years. Our kids are so much better than most people give them credit for. All you have to look at, all you have to look at, is the is the football Saskatchewan ID camp from last weekend. Look at the select numbers that are in those, like the forty times the shuttle, all of that stuff. Look at the numbers that your kid had. Then go look at the CFL combine numbers. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's the the numbers are almost identical. Yeah. The numbers are almost identical. So why can't we then have our kids play somewhere else? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like there's opportunities out there. There's 129 Division One schools. There's 140 uh, uh, Division One AA schools. There's, you know, 100 and some Division Two schools. All of those schools offer scholarships. There's 26 youth sports schools in Canada that have that, that play the game of football. You know, I mean, obviously, there's 338 million people in the U.S. So, that, so, but at, at, at the end of the day, our kids have the ability to play anywhere. And I'm not just saying, you know, let, let's go play Division One football. Like, it's not for everyone. It isn't for everyone. But listen, the kids start training at, you know, when they're nine and ten and eleven years old. You will see what's going to happen here over the next couple of years, Michael. I've said this to you a million times. This is going to be the most heavily recruited area in the entire country because of the talent of football that currently exists in this province. Well, I can. It is unbelievable. Well, I can speak from personal experience. This guy right here, Zelko Stefanovic, with the Sasselex football program, definitely has the kids' best interests at heart. And he's like a he's like a dog on a bone when he gets to these camps. He is promoting the kids. So if you if you want your son or daughter to get exposure down south, and I'll throw the ladies in there too. You get in, uh, get a hold of Zelko over at Sasselex Football, and uh, yeah, I mean he's not paying for this. It's nothing. I'm just I'm I'm all about promoting the game of football. So uh, check out their website and talk to him. And uh, those camps are worth it if that's something you want to pursue. Thanks for this, Zelko. Have a great night. All right, take care. Is Zelko Stefanovic of the Sasselex football program doing great work helping our kids out? Uh, it was on the stage 75 years ago in 1947. Jackie Robinson signed his first contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers, making him the first black player in the major leagues of baseball. He played in a few exhibition games against the Yankees, but his first official MLB game was against the Braves on April 15th. 56 years ago on the stage in 1966, exactly 19 years after Robinson broke baseball's color barrier, Emmett Ashford became the first black umpire in the majors. And 56 years ago on this day in 1966, 26-year-old Jack Nicklaus won his third Masters tournament, became the first man to win them back-to-back. NHL, Winnipeg, Montreal, the only game on the ice tonight. I guess on the sports ticker, I'd given you some of the Tuesday games. So Tuesday's going to be a busier night. Just one game in the NHL. Winnipeg leading Montreal 2-1. to one. And the Blue Jays in the top of the fifth in New York, opening up their first road trip in the Bronx against the Yankees. And they're up... 
2 nothing uh, top of the fifth. If you missed any of this show, you can check it out in podcast form. Our outstanding producer for one night only, Ryan Mishorek, is uh, putting up the podcast. It'll include an interview with Cody Fajardo. Fajardo. Cody, Cody Fajardo, our quarterback, will join us. We have Glenn Suter, Luke Mulder on the show, Mike Reagan, the uh, longtime coach of the Flin Flon Bombers, their team getting ready for game five of their semifinal series with Humboldt. We heard from the NFL Radio Network's Zig Fercasi to open the show and of course Max Polischuk and Zelko Stefanovic here in the 6 o'clock hour talking about a couple of local football angles tomorrow on the show it's a great show in store Mike Kelly from the NHL uh, network going to join us to give us a cool look at analytics we'll hear from one of the uh, up and coming prospects in uh, university football Gavin Cobb a receiver from Manitoba to turn some heads of the combine Glenn Suter and Arash Madani will join us Rob Harrison talking about volunteering at Ryder Games in the Grey Cup this year will be live in studio and we'll hear from Rams quarterback Josh Donnelly about playing in the East-West Shrine game as that returns after a two-year hiatus this show has been brought to you by Andrew Share It Limited, uh, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at shareit.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <clears throat>